Amen. All right, let's go ahead and have a seat. If you would turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Good morning. It is great to be out. Great to see everybody. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we want to give you an extra special welcome. Not that we don't welcome everybody. Everybody is welcome. But uh, if, you, uh, if you're here for maybe the first time, maybe you've been here a couple of times, we're really honored. We feel great that you're here. We really hope that you want to come back, that you see something or you hear something that uh, sparks an interest in you to find out more about God, to find out more about who we are. And I might want to let you know that we have a lot going on besides what you see here just on Sunday. But ask, we have meetings during the week. We've got midweek services. We've got Bible discussion groups. We've got a lot going on. And uh, we, uh, we encourage you, we invite you to become part of our fellowship. So that would be awesome. So I've got a question. What is your favorite Bible story about courage? What is it? Yell it out. Well, wait, not all, not all at once. One at a time. Over here, somebody said, what, Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel in the lion's den. Isn't that a good one? I mean, you wonder how on earth is he ever going to get out of that. John, what's your favorite Bible story about courage? Gideon. That's another one, right. David and Goliath. That's a classic. Patty Joe, what's your favorite? Okay, Phineas. That's a good one. You've got to be courageous there. Anybody else? Cooper. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a good one. Anybody else? Okay, yep, that's a good one too. So there's, there's a lot of really great Bible stories about courage. And, uh, you know, they're, they're inspiring, they're motivating, it gets you going. But I want to share another one with you today that really is not typically known as a story about courage. It's not really the best example or not one of the, the most common examples. It's a great example. But I think if you look, if you look in your Bible index, I'm not sure what that is, but that's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. So these guys will work it out. But it's, it's probably not one that you're going to find in your Bible index when you're looking at stories about courage. But I think if you look a little deeper into this story, you're going to see that exactly what it is. And it might not be against the giant. might not be against the sword. might not be against a lion. But it is about something that we face every day. And that's trials. We all go through stuff. Now, we call trials by many different names, right? We call them challenges, roadblocks, obstacles, problems, speed bumps, glitches, barriers, hurdles, obstructions, walls. However you want to define it, they're all the same thing. It's stuff that potentially stops you in your tracks and tears you down. So we're going to talk about those things today. We all have them. Look at me in James chapter 1. We're going to start right there. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so James says to consider a pure joy whenever you face any of these trials. Now, I don't know about you, but that's typically not the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm in a mess, when I'm in a roadblock, when I'm in a trial. I don't think this is great. I think this is the worst thing that could ever happen. But James says, no, no, look at it differently. 
Consider it a really good thing. According to this wisdom, these trials are really a test of your faith. I think you already know that. Because when you're in the midst of one of them, you feel like, okay, God, let me see what you're made of. Let me see what I'm made of. Let me see if we're compatible here. Where is my faith? So it very much is a trial of your faith. But he goes on to say that it's really the this testing of your faith that is developing perseverance. Perseverance takes courage. So what is perseverance? Well, take a look at this, and maybe this will help. Sam? No? If you can go ahead and... Yeah. Thank you. This is a video about perseverance, a video about pushing through, about not giving up. You've heard it all before a hundred times. But don't stop listening. Push through. You can do it. We dare you to actually let the message of this video sink in. Sorry. Right. Okay. So, perseverance. As Christ followers, we're supposed to have perseverance to accomplish God's plan for our lives. We all know that there are going to be a lot of struggles in this life. The important thing is what? That you have perseverance, as is illustrated here in our video by our little dude walking. Hello. Our little dude here running headfirst into adversity. Such a good illustration, don't you think? Now, some of the things that we deal with in life are going to be harder to walk through than others. In fact, we'd be lying if we didn't tell you that there will be times when it seems as if all the struggles in the world have joined forces to create this super mega struggle that is about to crush you. But don't worry about it. Just keep walking. Your walk with Christ isn't something that you're supposed to do alone. You're walking with Christ. So, if that's the case, you've got all this other stuff backing you up. All these tools that God has given you to help, pushing you forward, keeping you going. Now, don't get me wrong. It won't be easy the whole time. You'll probably want to give up a time or two or three or fifty. And nobody's perfect. But, like I said earlier, this is a video about perseverance. So it's important that you keep moving forward. The longer you move towards God, the more you'll want to keep moving in that direction. We believe in you. You should surround yourself with people who believe in you. Most importantly, God believes in you. So, get moving. When we talk about perseverance, it's that ability to keep on pushing forward in the face of strong pushback. And that is a very challenging thing to do. And it's that perseverance, perseverance that keeps you moving forward, even when you feel like, like life really is about to stop you dead in your tracks. And so let me show you an example of what that looks like, and maybe more importantly, to help prepare you for when it does happen to you. We're going to look here at Matthew 15, and we're going to start in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is quite a story. It's very challenging. And a lot of people don't like this story. Why is this even in the Bible? This doesn't seem to make any sense. Was the Lord having a bad day? What's up with the attitude of the disciples? What can I possibly learn from this story? It's here because it paints a picture of real life. Because this happens to all of us in many different ways. This is the test of your faith. And this is where we need courage. The courage to to persevere. No matter what the trial may be, with a mindset that I'm not going to give up. Now, what are some things that you don't like to hear from people? Give me some examples, things you don't like to hear from people. The word no. <laughs> That's true. What else don't you like to hear? What's some, some news or some, some words that might land on your ears that would be like, man, I wish I hadn't heard that. You blew it. Right, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, I think there you cannot do it. There are lots of things, right? You don't want to hear you got laid off. You don't want to hear that uh, you've made a terrible mistake. I mean, there's lots of things. I remember I was traveling once through Pennsylvania with Florence and Jonathan and Fiona. We were bringing Jonathan back from college. And we're driving through Pennsylvania, and it was at night. And I'm going through this really long corridor of a work zone. But it was at night, so the work zone wasn't active. But they had all the pylons and all the signs set up that said work zone. The speed limit is normally 65, but it was reduced down to 45. And so I'm going around 45, and there's nobody around. And I gradually, without even realizing it, crept back up to about 65 miles an hour in this work zone. Next thing you know... The state police is right behind me with the lights on, and he pulls me over and he talks to me. He says, "We clocked you going 45 in a or 65 in a 45 mile an hour work zone. Not what I wanted to hear that night. So we all hear things that we don't want to hear, right? But we also hear things that we like to hear. What are some things you would like to hear from people? You got a raise. That's a good one. What else do you like to hear from people? You're doing a great job, right? There could be a number of things. You know what I heard that night from that state police officer after he pulled me over? He goes back to the car. I'm thinking, okay, this is, you know, 65 in a 45-mile-an-hour work zone, which is typically double the, the, the fine, right? I'm thinking I'm going to get slammed here with a big ticket, points on my license. He comes back and he says, it's your lucky day. The computers are down. <laughs> There's no ticket beyond your way. <laughs> 
That was a great thing to hear. I deserved like a big fast ticket, but I didn't get it. Here's two, two stark realities of life. Things will, all, will not always go the way you want them to, and you're not always going to hear what you want to hear. And the key to survival and success for all of us is not how we handle the encouraging words in the good times, but it's how we handle the discouraging words in the challenging times. Now, you look at this woman's situation. She was in a bad place. Here she finds herself in the heart of, of Gentile country, which is where she was. This was not Jesus' focus yet. He was not reaching out to people in this particular area. But why was he there? Well, the Bible says that, that he withdrew to this region, that he pulled away. In the Mark 7 version of this, he just went to stay at somebody's home. Maybe it was an Airbnb, but he went to stay at somebody's home just to escape, just to get away for a little bit. He wanted to keep his presence a secret. You think, well, why would Jesus withdraw and want to keep his presence a secret? Isn't that counterproductive to his, his mission? Wouldn't he always want people to know who he was and where he was? Was he trying to avoid King Herod, who we know was out to kill him, perhaps? He probably knew he was in danger. Maybe he just needed some downtime because he did that a lot. He would often withdraw to lonely places where he would pray. But either way, or maybe for both, it seems that he wasn't there for her or for anybody else. Either she didn't know or she didn't care. But she ran right up to him. That was a, a gutsy, courageous move, considering, one, that she was a woman, and, two, that she was a Gentile. So she had two strikes against her right from the beginning. But she was desperate. And when you think about it, is there anything more compelling? Is there anything that's, that's more striking than, than, or, and then urgent than, than a mom that is with a child in need? I mean, that's got to be the most compelling thing ever seen. I remember when uh, my son John, uh, Taylor was only about three years old, and we were visiting church in Tennessee, and uh, I was upstairs doing a service. Taylor was downstairs playing with a bunch of kids, and one of the kids hit him square in the eye with a baseball bat. Blood everywhere. He comes running up with a person that was doing child care, and, I mean, it's just everywhere. We, Florence stops what we're doing. She grabs Taylor. She's heading for the car. We don't even know where we're going. We figure out where we're going to go. We go to the eye trauma center, and fortunately, he was okay after quite a bit of work. But, I mean, she was desperate. In her mind, it's like nothing else mattered right now. I've got to get this child to where he's going to get some help. And we found that help. We expected it, and it was there. Imagine going to the emergency room with your child, and the doctor looks at you, and he says nothing, just no response. How would you feel? See, here this poor woman had her child, and it was a desperate situation. She knows she should bring the child to Jesus. She does just that, and he says nothing. Nada. Lips are sealed. No response. You can imagine all those things that were probably coming out of her mouth. But he didn't answer a word. You can imagine what was going through her mind. How do you feel when people don't listen to you? When they ignore you? Either you put up with it and it becomes a really bad relationship. Or you walk away and you give up bitter, frustrated, sad, and angry. 
So that brings up an important question. What do you do when God is silent? Have you ever experienced a moment in your life where you felt like, you know what? God is not listening. Maybe you're in a really difficult situation, a crisis. It can be a financial crisis, a health crisis, a family crisis, a relationship crisis, a career crisis, whatever it might be. And you're thinking to yourself, wait, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm pretty convinced that God is not listening. There is no response. I fasted. I've sacrificed. I'm knocking myself out. And you think, you know what? God doesn't even notice. And you're striving to be righteous and to do the right thing, which is maybe very difficult in that situation. And you feel like, you know what? God just isn't interested. If you feel like God's not listening or that God doesn't notice or that God isn't interesting, then either you will settle for a very bad relationship or you will walk away and feel like, you know what? This is not worth it. I'm not doing this anymore. And you'll be sad and bitter and frustrated and angry. Well, right after this, this silence heard around the world, it would have been so easy for her to turn and walk out the door. But she didn't. Why not? Because in her mind, this is worth fighting for. I'm not giving up this easily. I'm not giving up quite yet. And she looked at her daughter and she thought, you know, I'm going to stay with this. We're going to figure out how to make this work. Several years ago, there was a, mu- uh, there was a movie called John Q, if you remember the movie. And Denzel Washington plays the role of a father of a nine-year-old boy. And the boy has a heart condition. He needs a transplant. And so he's thinking, great, we'll just go get the transplant. This, this is what we do. If my son needs this. We're going we're gonna to do that. And so he brings the boy to the hospital to find out that, A, he doesn't have enough insurance, it's going to be too costly, and they're not even going to begin the process until he can prove that he's got some means to be able to pay for this. And I want to show you a little clip from the movie when he realizes that I'm not going to take no for an answer. Sam, why don't you go ahead and show me? Nope. Okay. If it was yours, what would you do? I did the transplant, absolutely. Okay. Okay? Okay, let's do that. Let's do it. Yes? Yes. Okay. Well, the first thing we've got to do is get Mike's name on the Oregon recipient list. He's be positive, so his name should go right to the top of the list. It's not so simple. There are other considerations before a prospective recipient can be placed on the donor list. Transplant surgery is very expensive. In most cases, prohibitively so. No, we got insurance. I mean, he's a major medical. He's coming. We've already checked with Gary, Mr. Archibald. There are no provisions in your policy for a procedure of this magnitude. Oh, oh no, no, that's a mistake. I mean, I'm not just you're making a mistake. I'm just saying that I, he's, I'm insured. He, my son's covered. How about you, Mrs. Archibald? Do you have coverage? No, I've only been working at the supermarket a couple of months, and you don't get benefits until you. Doesn't visit. matter. We got insurance. Hmm. Okay, I can see here that you don't own your home. You have no stocks, no bonds, no investments. You have a little over thousand dollars in savings. But we got insurance. That may very well be, Mr. Archibald. You're going to have to check with your carrier on that. In the meantime, I'm afraid we're going to have to treat this as a cash account. What? 
How much does a transplant cost? Wait a minute, let me take you out. How much does a tra- how much does it cost? Transplant surgery doctor's fees, post-operative care, immunosuppressant drugs, you're looking at a minimum of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. If you opt for transplant surgery, that is your choice. But the hospital maintains a very strict policy with regard to cash patients. We require a down payment before we can put a patient's name on a receiver's list. How much? What kind of down payment? Thirty percent. Seventy-five thousand dollars. Seventy-five thousand dollars to put my son's name. Our son is upstairs dying, and all you can do is sit here and talk about money. It costs money to provide health care. It's expensive for you. It's expensive for us. Now I'm sorry, but you're going to have to guarantee payment before I can put your son's name. Frightening moment. Look at your life. What's not where you would like it to be right now? What's not working at all? Where do you need help? Where do you feel like I need help immediately? It could be your marriage, your family, relationships, your, your spiritual maturity. It could be something in your personal development and growth, something in your character. Do you value those things? Of course you do. And you're not alone. Because so does God. Even when you might feel like, I don't think God values this life I have as much as I do. God does. If these parts of your life are important to you, persevere with God in them. Because God sees everything. God sees every tear, every drop of sweat, every anxious moment, every frustration, doubt, fear. God is aware and God is concerned. Stay on your knees. Stay in prayer. Stay faithful. Wrap yourself around the goodness that you know God is. Stay with it and stay with him. We can't always predict what God is going to say, what God is not going to say, or what God is going to do, what God's not going to do, or how God will respond or not respond. And we can't interpret what we think is a lack of response from God for being a negative response from God. God is working all the time to strengthen your faith. Let God be God and let God be in control. Trust in the God who made your life to guard your life. But there's another trial that she faced. As if the silence of Jesus wasn't enough, there was now a problem with the disciples. Send her away. She's bothering us with this relentless crying out. You would expect that from the world, right? But these were Jesus' own disciples. And so we have another question. What do you do when people hurt you? Oh, well, nobody's ever hurt me. That's a lie. You've been hurt. And you have hurt people. It's just that's the way it is. It happens to everybody. We are human. We're prone to say the wrong things, to do the wrong things, to think the wrong things. And as Christians, that's the part of the sinful nature that we're trying to to get rid of, to do away with. And we expect these things in the world, and we're used to it. We're even prepared for it. But what happens when it happens in the church and we have issues with each other? Because the Word is our standard, which it is our standard, 
I think we're a lot more in tune to, to how we should be with each other, what the ideal relationship should be like. And we see scriptures like this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. See, that's what we should be like. That's the ideal. But then there's the reality. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. See, that's all part of the test. How you deal with this part of the test might very well determine if you stay faithful or not. You know, we say it should be, it should be all about God and not about people. And that's true. God is perfect. We are not. We make a lot of mistakes with each other. And we can be in the wrong with each other. Sometimes it seems like more than we're in the right. When you get into those situations, it's so easy to say, I'm just going to walk away from this. I'm going to walk out from this. But that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the church. And it does not bring glory to God. And so you've got an issue with somebody. This is not an excuse to check out. Pray, talk, listen, engage, repeat as necessary, and then eventually move to a better place so that we can all be closer to Jesus. The woman, no doubt, was deeply hurt by the disciples. She never checked out. She never walked away. She persevered, persevered right through it because she knew where she needed to be. Another question, and the last question. What do you do when Jesus' words seem too stern? You look what he, what he says in verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yikes. Could you imagine hearing that? I mean, that must have just pierced her and destroyed her. She's thinking, did, did Jesus just call me a dog? Did I hear that right? I mean, how do you handle that? There's no nice way around that. Maybe it's a bad translation. No, it's exactly what he said in the original language. Well, maybe dog means something else. Well, the Greek word cunarian, dog, means a dog. As in, like, Fido, Lucky, Rover, Spot. I mean, it's, it's a dog. He called her a dog. Now, she probably knew that that's the way the Jews viewed the Gentiles. And she was hurt. Now, I don't believe that's the way that Jesus intended it to be. That wasn't his intent. There's actually a couple of words for dog. Cunarian, which is more of a, a pet. And then there's cuan, which is more like a wild dog that nobody would have any respect for. But I think the way she heard it was, you're saying I'm less than everybody else. Okay, maybe I'm a house pet, but I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy of your attention right now. 
That's how she processed it. And she felt a sting nonetheless. That was painful. Sometimes we read the Word, and we're looking for a very specific answer, the one that we want to see. And that answer is is not always the one that we find. Sometimes we don't like the one that we actually find. Sometimes those words are very hard-hitting, and they're hard-line, and they're challenging. Love your enemies. Forgive or you won't be forgiven. Repent or perish. Surrender all or you can't be a disciple. I mean, those kind of words are the test for us. Not, I love you, past the clouds, which is, you know, a great thing, and we need to embrace those words. But we also need to embrace the ones that are a little bit challenging. That was me, sorry. They also, we also need to embrace the ones that are a little bit challenging, as we read so often. When you see them, like them or not, will you turn away and trust the word? I'm sorry, will you turn away and, and, and disregard the word? Or will you draw near and trust the word, no matter how you feel? For Jesus and this woman, I mean, this, this is all real life. This is what she needed to hear, and it was the test. And Jesus was able to see the sincerity of her faith. For us, being a true Christian, being a disciple, is not simply going to church more than somebody else does. It's being faithful when that, when that belief, when that lifestyle that you're living is being challenged and being tested. And it's what the whole story is about. The woman had great faith. And you look at her response to the dog comment. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus looked at her and said, you know what? You're right. You're right. You have amazing faith. I want Jesus to be able to look at all of us and say, you're right. Your faith is amazing. You've gone through a lot. You are going through a lot. This is, you're in a very tough place, but I see your faith. And yes, I'm going to do something about that. Jesus knew that she got it. She passed the test. Nope. She, she passed the test. God's power is not realized by the quick, easy things that we go through, but by the tough challenges and the trials. And that's where James says we shine. And I know she did. Persevere there, there and you're really going to see what God has made of. Amen.